everybody. We're so glad you're at our online worship with us today. Man, we believe this is going to be a great time of worship together. You know, we're in the middle of this, not really in the middle, we're at the end of a study of the book of Galatians and we're in chapter six. And there is so much practical knowledge and wisdom for us in chapter six. You're going to be blessed by this passage as we just unpack it together. Now, our communicator today is Pastor Grant Roscoviak and Grant is another son of compassion. Uh, Grant was saved at our church. Uh, he found the Lord Jesus at our church. He was called in the ministry to our church. He went to school and played football up in Chicago and was sent by our church as a missionary to Haiti. Now he and his wife have been serving on our staff for years and Grant is our downtown campus pastor. He is the guy who's gonna help us occupy this downtown campus that we have almost built for cash. And friends, I'm telling you, I'm excited about what the future holds now that our downtown campus has a home where we can do ministry you know, seven days a week. Friends, you're gonna love this message. You're gonna love Galatians chapter six. You're gonna love Grant. Prepare yourself, open your Bible. Let's dig in. Hey church, I'm so excited to be with you, but I, I have to be honest. As I start this sermon, as I begin just to process and preach, this season is very hard. I'm sitting here in a room, in a sanctuary, in a worship center, and there's no one around. And I miss people. I miss the college kids who are out there with their shoes off worshiping, probably getting into it and understanding how to worship more than I do. I hate the fact that people are hurting. My brothers and sisters in Christ that don't look like me or who weren't raised like me, struggling and hurting. I hate that people are getting sick. I hate that people are dying. I hate sin. I miss seeing my grandma down in the front. I miss seeing my family. I miss seeing you. And I think we have to acknowledge that before we start. But now as we process, I want to do something. I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to stop folding your laundry, doing your dishes. I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I've done it, it as well, but I need you to grab your Bibles because I am so excited to show you what God has shown me in this text, both challenging and encouraging. I've had to weep over my own brokenness and wrestle with my own heart when it comes to what God is going to show us in this text. It's the ending of Galatians. We've been in this book for a season now. And some of you might think, and, and a lot of people think that the ending of this book is like a lot of calls or letters that we get. Oh, by the way, blah, 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 I'm a Christian. Thanks for reading my letter. But listen, what if I told you that this chapter offers freedom, freedom from others and even freedom from yourself? What if I told you that you could leave work after your supervisor, who is a total jerk to you, you could leave and you could be secure in your identity? and the work that you've done? What if I told you that if you got in a fight with your spouse, that you didn't have to leave and end in, in, in divorce or, or huge arguments, but rather your identity was secure in who you are in Jesus and you could have bold and humble conversations? Or what if you lost a match or you lost an event or you lost a sporting event and your identity wasn't destroyed? You see, the goal of this chapter is not only to sum up Galatians, but to remind us 
that the gospel, the good news is not only a pathway to salvation for those who are far from God, for those who don't believe and been separated from God. But what if I told you that this was also essential for those of us who have put our faith in Christ? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the gospel creates a whole new self-image, which is not based on comparison with others. Only the gospel makes us neither self-confident nor self-disdaining, but both bold and humble. You see, my hope for this message is for us to leave bold and humble with the understanding of who we are in Christ. So let's get into the text. Now, a lot of scholars, and I would agree, believe that actually chapter five, verse 26 is the beginning, or at least it actually builds Galatians 6 as a chapter together. So I want us to start there. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to dive in with me. But in verse 25 of chapter 5, or verse 26, it says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, the original translation of the word conceit, at least in Old English, was vainglory. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us now. But it's this idea of empty of honor. You see, just like pride is both self-elevation and self-deprecation because the idea that it's both focused on ourself. Conceit in the same way in this context of Galatians is both a superiority complex and an inferiority complex. It's thinking of yourself better than others or a woe is me attitude. You see, every one of us has a deep longing to have someone to say, good job, well done. We seek acceptance in every facets of our life. Relationships, family, work, sports, games, pick your poison. We're all trying to find our value or improve our status in every situation. Why do you think we struggle? Why do you think we sleep around? Why do you think our marriages are dissolving? Why do you think that we stay in jobs that we hate? Why do you think that we have problems with alcohol? Why do you think that we find these anesthetizing behaviors to numb the reality of what we really want? I know this is true in my own life. I'll let you in on a little secret. It may seem funny or a little thing, but to me, it's kind of a help. Sometimes I'm in meetings with coworkers, you know, and I know you think that all of us as pastors and church people, we get along, but we don't always. And sometimes when a meeting hasn't gone my way or I think, man, this is really stupid, I'll walk out and I may or may not say to a friend of mine, it doesn't really matter because I can beat all of you up. It sounds stupid, but it's true. And it makes me feel better in that moment. And the truth is I probably can beat all of them up. But that's not the point. You see, we're all one-uppers. And when we can't one-up, we get envious or even jealous. That's why for me as a personal physical discipline, and I, I like to share this because it's something that helps me in my season of life. I've, I've loved jujitsu. I encourage jujitsu. I think jujitsu is a really cool discipline physically for me. And it's helped me learn and grow and it's helped me develop. I've done great. I've, I've been in tournaments. I, I've won gold medals. It's been fantastic. At the same time, I've been beat by a 145 pound soaking wet engineer who's, who's choked me out. Thank you, Seth. What I've really learned over the past couple weeks studying this text is this that nothing is really going to heal my broken heart. 
Nothing is really going to heal your heart. Like God saying to us, saying to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I really want. It's all I really need. But the reality is I live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And I'm a broken man. And I will live and I in my weakness, will think of myself better than others. I will think of myself better than you. And in other situations, I'll be envious of what I don't have. In moments, I'll think I'm the best. In other moments, I'll be jealous of another house or another car. And when I feel like I can take somebody out and win over them, I will. You see, I will either provoke or challenge people and I have to win. Or when I lose, I'll be envious. Tim Keller rewrites this verse in this way. He says, do not let your hunger for honor make you either despise people or envious of people. Why is this important? Because if our image is based on comparing ourselves to others, not the new self-image we gain by submitting to Christ, then we will struggle with being overly self-confident or overly self-defeating when Jesus wants us to be bold and humble. What do I mean by this? What do I mean by being humble? What do I mean by being bold? The gospel humbles me in front of others. If I know the depth of my own sin, if I know the brokenness in my own life, then I know that I'm no better than anyone else. And at the same time, it emboldens me. It's not a self-defeating humility. It emboldens me, reminding me I'm a co-heir with Christ that I'm adopted into the kingdom. All the benefits of the son are mine. All the freedom from sin is mine. When my father looks at me, he sees not a rebel, but a son. You see, all we really need is the approval of, of our heavenly father. All I really need is the approval of my heavenly father. So the gospel makes us bold and full of humility. See, whatever the situation it is, whatever situation I'm in, whatever situation we're in as followers of Christ, we have to practice the habit of preaching the gospel to ourselves that, that Jesus Christ is the only one that can reconcile us to God, not what I do, not what you've done. Because if I'm provoked to prove myself or prove my self-worth or how sweet I am, and if I have to win, then I need to remind myself in that moment that my approval comes from Jesus. And my identity it's not on who Grant is, but rather on who Christ is. And my value, my righteousness comes from him. At the same time, if I feel, man, Grant's pretty sweet. His black shirt's pretty nice. If I start to feel about how amazed I am over someone else, then I need to remind myself that I am just as undeserving of Jesus's love and the sacrifice as the person I'm talking to. Okay, that was the preface. Now on to chapter six, verse one. Galatians 6, one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. So Paul, 
He's given us this 30,000 foot view. So let me, let me give you the 30,000 foot view of verse one. In context of what we just talked about, understanding being bold and humble that our identities in Christ, not on what we do or what we don't do. If anyone is caught in a transgression or a sin, if we are self-righteous or superior in our approach, we would look down on that person. Who are caught in the traps of sin? Think of the Pharisees, think of the religious. Think about Matthew when Jesus is talking to the tax collector and the Pharisee. He says, thank you, God, I'm not like this here tax collector. Thank you, God, I'm not like this here sinner. And Jesus says, that's wrong. That's not an understanding of who you are. That's not an understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. But the complexity in this verse is our natural tendency to criticize or to point out his faults. At the same time, Paul is not saying don't address the seriousness of sin, which actually leads to death. He's reminding us in view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel, and how we help our brother or sister who is overtaken by a pattern of sin in their life. We as Christians need to be slow to criticize, yet at the same time, be bold to confront. It comes from a place of being humble, yet bold. Let's keep going. Galatians 1 continues, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, Paul isn't saying to the spiritual elite, He's not saying those of you who are super holy. He's saying those who like in verse five, chapter five, verse 25, wanting to live by the spirit. If you're wanting to live by the spirit, AKA normal Christians, if you're a normal follower of Christ, you should do this. You should restore your brother and sister caught in the traps of sin. But what does restoration look like? What does it actually mean to restore? And listen, I think the Greek here is important. The Greek word used for restore here is katartizo. Katartizo, you can keep it or you can leave it. The meaning is what's important. This, it's the same word used for setting a dislocated bone, a fracture, a bone, a dislocation. It's that same jarring, painful healing. A very real understanding of this text for me happened over this break. My four-year-old Peter, he fell off a slide and in doing so, he dislocated his elbow and broke his arm. And in that moment, I, I'm being the father and I'm being the one who, hey, all right, I got to take care of this. I don't know how to fix this. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take you. I took him to the urgent care and, and, the, and I knew. I knew when the x-ray came back. I knew what was happening. He was in so much pain. He was hurting so much but I knew that we were gonna have to hurt him a little bit more to fix it. Because if I didn't hurt him a little bit more, he would have a continuous dislocation. His arm wouldn't heal properly. And the truth is, if we as followers of Christ don't understand this and we don't understand the spiritual dislocations in our life, we're gonna walk around very deformed. But the true understanding of this is that there's hurt, hurt associated on both sides. That is the attitude we take and we approach because if your heart isn't broken for the one whose arm is dislocated, if you don't approach this with brokenness and humility, you shouldn't. You'll just be yanking on somebody's arm spiritually 
not fixing anything, causing and creating more pain. You see, just as I, a loving father who loves my son, Peter, knew that it was going to take pain to heal. God, our heavenly father, knows that we as followers of Christ need to go through some pain to heal. If you're not broken for some of the things going on in this world right now, if you're not broken for your brother and sister in Christ who's a different color or a different relationship than you, a different th- then I would encourage you to remember the brokenness in your life. A very real, another real example for me that happened yesterday. Now, I'll be honest and semi-repent. I have not been hyper crazy about COVID-19. I'm, I have a newborn. I, I know I wear my mask to the supermarket and, you know, some of these things, but I have taken some liberties. But yesterday, sitting on the couch with my mother-in-law and just talking and seeing the genuine fear in her eyes, in her voice, in her heart about some of these realities of COVID-19, it, it created a sense of empathy for me. Agree or not agree, I loved my mother-in-law, so I had to engage. Let's continue. Galatians 6.1, continue. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Because the temptation that Paul is talking about is to think that we are not capable of the same destructive patterns in our life. The one that we're going to confront, the one we're going to rescue from the trappings of sin, we don't think that we're prone to sin ourselves. We don't, he's saying, don't think of yourself better than the one you're confronting. Come as a broken human, somebody who's been healed by Christ to come and help heal. Listen, if you don't think this, if you, you will fall into the temptation and your arm will be dislocated and you'll think that it never could have. You'll be in a situation where you think your arm can never get dislocated spiritually. Let's keep going. We've got a lot of text to cover. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul takes a very lofty concept and brings it down to reality for us. And as we saw and Ken preached in chapter five, we are to serve in love. And it manifests itself in carrying each other's burdens. What burdens, you ask? It can be as simple as my friend Drew helping me renovate my bathroom or watching your neighbor's kids. Or it can be as deep and difficult as walking through a death in the family or with a friend. You see, the main point Paul is making is that it takes relationship and a willingness to sacrifice. Simply put, think about moving a dresser. If you have a hundred pound dresser, yeah, maybe you could pick it up and you can move it yourself. But a lot of people can't. Dressers are awkward and big and you can't do that. So it takes you physically taking 50 pounds from that other person. You are bearing a burden. It's a 50 pound burden, but you're bearing a burden. It takes relationship and sacrifice. That's a dresser. What about if you meet somebody who is in financial destitution? It takes sacrifice and relationship. You're going to have to bear a financial burden. You're going to have to take that on. That is what Paul is trying to discuss. I I see it in what everyone is talking about. Hamilton, you think, oh man, my favorite part, you know, is King George. You'll be back, you know, he's doing, it's a great part. Or maybe it's satisfied or hopeless. Eliza, helpless, you know, they meant well. But you got Angelica who's like, man, I love him too. Super weird. 
But you know what my favorite part of Hamilton is? My favorite part of Hamilton was the gospel. My favorite part of Hamilton is probably the same favorite part that you have if we talk about it. It's after Hamilton betrays and cheats on his wife. And then in his pride and his arrogance allows his son to die. And Eliza, the victim, according to the play, reaches down and grabs Hamilton's hand. By grabbing Hamilton's hand, she now bears the burden. She bears the burden of being a wife that was betrayed. She bears the burden of a mother who lost a son. She bears the burden of history telling her story. Angelica in Hamilton says this. She sings this. <laughs> There's a grace too powerful to name. Angelica, you have it half right because I know that name. And the name of the grace you're talking about is Jesus. You see, as followers of Christ, we are called to bear one another's burdens in the same way that Jesus bore our burdens on the cross. Once again, Paul is reminding us in verse three through five, we cannot do this without an understanding of our self-image, which we talked about in chapter five, verse 26 and on that is called to be humble and bold in the context of the gospel. You cannot properly carry another's burden without understanding that it takes relationship and sacrifice. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one tests his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. If we think we can do it on our own, if we think we can crush it, if you think you can make enough money to outpay your sin, if you think you can outcheat, outlie, you're nothing. We all have circumstances and situations that we have to bear. And to compare, to compare ourselves is unrealistic and it's unfair. You see, we all have different backpacks that we wear. I'm a ball-headed man. If I cared so much about hair, I would be devastated all the time. I'm big, you're small. I'm a man, you're a woman, you're tall. You're, I mean, we have different backgrounds. We have different socioeconomics. We have different upbringings, different countries, different things. Listen, it's unrealistic to compare ourselves. It's unrealistic to think that my abilities or my giftedness or my talents are better, make me a better person than you. Honestly, it's unbiblical. Verse six continues and says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teach. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that is also what he reaps. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit from the spirit reaps eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we'll reap. If we do not give up, so then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Paul and Jesus are brilliant in this analogy. 
It stands today the same as it did 2,000 years ago. It's an agricultural analogy. Every single one of us understands how plants grow. I cannot plant Brussels sprouts and expect peaches. I don't know that technology yet, and I don't think it will ever exist, but what you plant is what you get. Paul is taking an analogy that will stand forever in time, no matter how you do it, aquaponics, hydroponics, in the ground, in your kitchen, how you do it, what you plant, you will receive, and it takes time and care. You have to water it. You have to weed it. You have to fertilize it. You have to take care of it. If you don't, you won't reap the harvest that you think. What Paul is communicating in this moment is think about what you reap in the flesh. <laughs> you think if you're cheating on your spouse, you're gonna re reap eternal life. You think that if you caught drinking abusively, that you're gonna reap things of the spirit. You think if your only desire is to win, 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 make as much money as you can at the detriment of your family, that you're gonna reap a beautiful harvest? You can't, there's Brussels sprouts. What we want is peaches. What I want, what we need is to walk with Christ daily in discipleship. Our immediate culture doesn't understand that. Farming is hard. Being a follower of Christ is hard. If you sit and you read your Bible every single day and nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing, do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing good. Don't stop. Because what God promises, what he has promised, what he has done is he helped me, he'll help you reap a spiritual harvest. If you're in that season where God is silent, don't give up. Don't give up in doing good. Paul then literally takes the pen from the scribe and he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only that in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast in the flesh, but far be it from me to boast and accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And as for all who walk by the rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon Israel and God, for now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace in the Lord Jesus be with you in spirit, brothers, amen. This whole section is just reiterating everything we talked about. If your heart is for religion, you don't get it. If you think that your success is on how much you give or don't give, or if you think about how much you attend or don't attend, or how much you watch online or don't watch online, if your heart is to be, man, look at me. Look what I'm doing for the kingdom. Look what I've done. Look at my boasting. Because someone who is bold and humble, someone who understands what Paul is writing in Galatians, boasts in and only in Jesus Christ not in their own abilities. Paul says this, he says, listen, this is the reality. These, I'm writing this to you with actual scars, not metaphorically, not spiritually, he was beaten. 
It's scars on his back for the sake of the gospel. Listen, this is not about health and wealth and you've got to, man, you've got to do it. You're going to be prosperous. This is kill it. If you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. No, what I'm telling you is you're going to be beaten. You're going to bruise. You're not always going to win. But it's okay because you're a co-heir with Christ. So what would it look like for us as followers of Christ to decide to live bold and humbly in view of the gospel? What would it look like for us to take this seriously? One, Facebook isn't a political war zone. Instagram isn't about one-upping everybody. Fake videos, all these things to make ourselves. Our marriages will be stronger because I don't have to be better than my wife or better than my neighbor's husband. I don't have to do these things, but rather I can be humble, but at the same time be bold so that my wife and I can grow in Christ. I'll be a better neighbor. I'll be a better coworker, a better supervisor, a better friend. You'll be a better roommate, but not just a better, not just better, but more like Jesus. I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but this idea is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Like most things in scripture, I know that if I love my kids and I discipline them and I raise them well, they'll grow, but it's not easy. I know that if I wanna solve racism, that it's simple. I need to be humble and I need to be bold and I need to come with this idea of man, my arm is broken and restored by a brother in Christ through Jesus. How can I go and I heal my brothers in Christ? Or how can I be healed by a brother in Christ? It's simple, understanding who I am in Jesus and understanding who they are in Christ. But because of my own brokenness and my own sin, it's not easy. Simple, but not easy. I want us to be bold and humble. Listen, if we understand this, we no longer need to fear the world we live in or worship it. If we decide to boast, we must boast in Jesus Christ. If we do, we can actually just enjoy it. We can live bold and humble. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for Galatians. I thank you for Paul for writing it and Jesus giving him these words. Lord, may we live as a community. May we live as followers of Christ bold and humbly. May we stop going around jerking dislocations, but rather knowing the weakness and brokenness in our own hearts. We can go and we can restore our brother or sister in Christ. Help us to be bold so that we don't see our friends and our family and our neighbors die to sin. At the same time, help us to be humble so that we can approach it in a way that honors you, Lord, and our brother and sister in Christ. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey friends, as we close, let me ask you to ask yourself a couple of questions. First, I'd like you to identify areas of your life where maybe you feel like you're conceited, maybe you're overconfident, or maybe there's some self-loathing. And then what needs to happen for you to change that? 
The second question that I want you to ask yourself is after listening to this teaching from Galatians, what does it look like for you to live boldly and humbly? I mean, maybe you need to speak to somebody in your life. Maybe you need to share the life change that you've experienced and maybe you need to make some bold changes in your life, real changes in your life relationally, maybe financially or spiritually or maybe with the things you chase after. Friends, we want you to know that we stand ready to talk to you about these questions or any other questions that you might have. We're ready to pray with you about any need that you might have. And if you're ready to make a decision or you need prayer, all you need to do is click on the connect card button in the chat or go to compassionchristian.com and select the online connect card and we'll get connected to you. And we're gonna tell you about the life-changing relationship that Jesus offers to every one of us. Friends, thanks for being here and being a part of our service. We can't wait to gather with you again next week. We'll see you then.